Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, podcast listener, even though you're hearing this recorded show, you can still call us whenever you want, one 929 Our voicemail will take your call. Later, we'll listen to it just as we listen to all of them. And then there's always a chance that we'll decide to have you on the show to ask your question or share your story. On with the show. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Martha, for one of the projects I've been working on lately, we've been using a term called bike shedding. Do you know this? Bike shedding. Is that uh, getting rid of your bike and moving up to a motorcycle or down to a tricycle? Or No, no, no. It, it dates back to 1961 in a book called Parkinson's Law by a fellow by the name of C. Northcote Parkinson. And he describes about people's willingness to argue about the tiny details of a project because those details are, are knowable and manageable. And they're unwillingness to talk about the large picture, the big bones of the project. So, for example, as he, as he illustrates, you might easily argue about the color of a bicycle shed. Should you paint it red? Should you paint it yellow? What color? But you would be unlikely to argue about how to build an atomic power plant because that's outside your expertise <laughs> or your experience, right? I'll say. And he describes this in a, a pretty funny, humorous context of, of a way of envisioning how a, a project or management can go wrong where you get lost in the details. You spend way too much time arguing mm. about stuff that really doesn't matter simply because that's the only thing that you can get a handle on. Mm-hmm. And then when I think about, sometimes when I think about language, I actually think about the same thing. Sometimes we argue about the very useless little tidbits rather than talking in general about the big picture of the world of linguistics. Right. That's a really good point. Bike shedding. I like that. Bike shedding. Yeah. Well, I have a really old word for you. You've given me a new one. Here's a really old word. Tohu bohu. Do you know this word, Grant? Tohu bohu. I love this word. T-O-H-U-B-O-H-U. Tohu bohu. It means just a mess, confusion. I walked into my teenage son's room and it was a tohu bohu. But here's the really great thing about this word, Grant. It is so old because it goes back to Hebrew scripture. Uh In fact, it goes all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis, when it talks about the earth being without form and void... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The Hebrew there is tohu vavohu, without form uh-huh. and void. Uh-huh. And ever since the 1700s, people have been using tohu bohu, not very often, but to mean uh, a mess, confusion, disorder. Uh, that's brand new to me, even though it's very old to the language, tohu bohu. Isn't that great? Tohu bohu mm-hmm. and bike shedding. If you'd like to talk to us about any aspect of language or share an old or new word of your own, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Judy Dunson in Indianapolis, Indiana. Well, hello, Judy. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Well, I have a question on a phrase that um, we were using not too long ago. It's called swan song. Uh, When somebody is getting ready to leave, or in our case, it was somebody who had finished their term on the board, and we were joking around asking him what his swan song was going to be, and then... A little later, I was talking with someone about my pending retirement, and they were saying, what are you going to do for a swan song? And I said, where did that term come from? And none of us knew, because we'd never heard a swan singing and uh, didn't know whether a swan uh, does some sort of a dying, mournful thing uh, when it uh, dies, or or whether it came from an opera, or what. Hmm. Uh huh. So in other words, Judy, you got out of singing a song? Well, they didn't ask me to sing, and it was probably a good thing. Oh, really? Well, if you were going to sing for them, what would you sing? Well, I don't think it would have anything to do with retirement. Okay. <laughs> There's no business like show business. Yeah, I wouldn't do the old gray goose ain't what she used to be or something like that. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Very good. Well, yeah, it goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks, at least. 
as you suggested, they had this mistaken belief that there was a certain kind of swan that is silent most of its life. It's really kind of a beautiful story that it it remains silent most of its life. And then just before the moment of its death, it breaks that silence by singing this final song of unbelievable sweetness. Hmm, Sounds like something should be in an opera. Mm-hmm. It yeah, probably it, was. It was, right? indeed, it was, yeah, <laughs> definitely was. You're right that it's this classic image that you find in Shakespeare and The Merchant of Venice and um, Chaucer and Aesop's fables. I mean, it's been around for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. And we borrowed the expression from a German expression that means the same thing. Well, that's interesting because when I was speaking with uh, one of my uh, colleagues about it, he started saying, well, this came from this woman named... and." gave this German name, and when she she was singing, and then she just dropped dead. I says, you got to be kidding me. He says, yeah, I just made that up. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he linked it to a German. <laughs> oh, interesting. Well, we would never do such a thing. Never, ever. Ever. No. Ever. It was Schubert who had a collection of songs published after he died under the name Schwanigesang. Ah, right. Like the unfinished? I thought maybe it might have something to do with... Uh, um, the opera of you know the where, where the swan is dying you know the the dancers are swans mm-hmm. swan lake a swan lake something yeah there's like that. there's definitely some there's definitely some correlation there there you'll most of the dictionaries that I've checked suggest that we borrowed swan song from German where it is something of well, my German is terrible but Schwanengesang um, which mm-hmm. is literally swan song and you can find it in German as far back as 1560 I'm sure it's much older than that and um, there's definitely the um, correspondence between the uh, English language tradition of opera and the German tradition of opera is is so great that I wouldn't be surprised if that's where we get it from directly. So Judy, what are you going to do in retirement now besides call erudite radio shows? Well, actually, I would love to just continue to call this show. You're one of my favorites. Oh! Uh, But um, I I work for Church World Service and I plan to continue to volunteer for Church World Service in my retirement. So I've got some things mapped out, especially in emergency response and things like oh, that. Oh, cool. Cool. Well, that's, yeah. that's very So my swan needed. song will be very active. Excellent. Excellent. I love it. be more that. like happy feet than, than swan songing. <laughs> more like happy feet. I like that. Well, hey, thanks a lot for calling. Okay, and thanks for the answer. Thanks, okay. Judy. Okay. Bye-bye. Grant, speaking of retirement, remember when we asked that question about is there a better word than retirement? You know, sometimes there's a word mm-hmm. that we talk about on the show that just hits a nerve, and this one did. I mean, the emails just won't stop coming. We heard from all kinds of uh, people who were suggesting, instead of the term retirement, rebooting, reframing, reformatting, rephasing, uh, becoming an entrepreneur. One of my favorites was from Gary in San Diego, mm-hmm. who said that uh, when he was a full-time employee of a company, he referred to that as captive employment, and now he refers refers to uh, his current state as free-range employment. I like that, free-range. Mm. So that's what I'm going with for now. But, uh, boy, now if we could just come up with a, uh, an alternative to senior citizen, we'd be all set. Old people. <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, okay. Send your ideas and suggestions to words at waywardradio.org or give us a call at one 929 Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Michelle Diekelman calling from Oceanside, California. Well, hello, Michelle. Welcome to the program. Hi, Michelle. Thank you. What can we do for you? Well, I'm a high school teacher here in Oceanside, and we were having a debate sort of by email um, among the faculty about the use of criteria as a plural noun and also as a singular noun. So my quick, my brief question is, is it correct to use criteria as a plural noun? And is it correct to use criteria as a singular noun? Wow. And you teach what there? I'm actually the French teacher here. Okay, you teach French, and somebody is trying to tell you that criteria is a singular Correct. word? Yes. What do your discussions look like? Is, is the email system melting down? <laughs> no, it really wasn't that much. Unfortunately, not everybody engages in these language debates, but I would like language and talk about language, and this was an English teacher, and we had sent out a note. All the, all the teachers in this high school teach two vocabulary words a week at the same time during the same, at the same day, and the special word, that, the focus word that week was criteria, And so when we sent out the information about criteria, then she replied that criteria um, is incorrectly used as a plural, which I think that's not right. 
um, but that it may also be, it is accepted as a singular. So she sent that on the email, and then people kind of had discussions about it in their in their own departments, I think. Oh, my. So we have the French against the English once again. <laughs> is that right? That's true. That's oh, true. <laughs> and, and this person isn't in a position where she can fire you or anything, right? No, I think I'm safe on that. I think I'm safe. No, no, okay. And so your position is that it's okay for criteria to be a singular? Well, here's my position. My position is if people use it as a singular, because I'm sure people do, then I'm okay with that. I also want to basically have it both ways. I want people to be able to use it as a singular, but I also want it to be correctly used as a plural. So I'm not going to judge people if they're going to use it as a singular, but I do prefer that we acknowledge there's a correct use. Ah, oh, so you're looking for a particular criterion then. That's true. <laughs> and is that, is that the criterion for this? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't guess they teach Greek there, right? No. Okay, because if, if they did, then the answer would be flashing in great big neon letters. Mm-hmm. Criterion is singular. It comes from the Greek word that looks almost exactly like that and means a standard of judging. And criteria is the plural. It's a neuter plural in Greek, and that's, that's how those work. You see the same thing with phenomenon. A lot of people say phenomena for the singular, and that's not right. Phenomenon is singular. Phenomena is plural. And you're correct, Traditionally, at least, criterion is singular and criteria is plural. And, and you're also correct that a lot of people do use criteria in the singular. It's, it's such large numbers now that it can't be ignored, and all the major style guides and many of the minor ones will deal with this question. And I think there's some consensus there, which is kind of, you've kind of come right to it, which is do it right. Do it right when you can. Make sure that criterion is the singular and criteria is the plural. But if someone else uses criteria as the singular, it's not a mortal offense. You don't need to condemn them. You don't need to put a big red F at the top of the page. Yeah, but send them a snarky email. <laughs> no, I don't want to be snarky about it. I do have a very open mind about it. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so, and the other word I thought of, too, like that is, um, well, you said the phenomenon is data. Does data follow that same rule? Oh, yeah, that's another one of those that's, that, that gets even trickier, I think. Datum and data and agenda. Yeah. Agenda is a plural in uh, in Latin, but the agenda has completely made the transformation right. and is now fully anglicized and no longer follows the the Greek rule. Exactly. Well, Latin. Latin. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that's a good point that that agenda has been fully assimilated that way. But you you if you look in some dictionaries, usage notes, those kinds of things, they'll say that a lot of people do make that criteria mistake, but. The rule still holds. I would say that your nuanced position is a really nice one, and I think that you've fully covered your bases, and you're acknowledging that we're we're on the cusp of a transformation here, and that um, there might be some people who learned it differently and do it a different way. Um, but again, if you know the traditional rule, why not go ahead and use it? Well, Michelle, thank you so much for calling us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, it was our All pleasure. Right. <laughs> Take luck. care. Bye bye. Bye bye. I was reading the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of English Usage while we were talking here, and they, and they really just kind of nail it in a sentence. They say, only time will tell whether it will reach the unquestioned acceptability of agenda. I think we're, we're still ah. waiting for that data to come in. Ah, okay. If you've got a question about language, uh, a dispute you've had with a colleague, uh, let us settle it. We'll figure it out. Somebody will be fired at the end of it. one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an anonymous email to words at waywardradio.org. Stay tuned for a puzzle that'll stretch your brain like a 300-foot bungee cord. Next on Away With Words. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And we're joined now by the one, the only, the unique, and the always safe for work, John Chinesky. <laughs> safe for work. Aren't I've never been described as safe for work before. <laughs> but I guess it applies. Hello, Grant. Hi, Martha. And he can oh. be operated while under the influence of alcohol. That's <laughs> true. That's true. That's true. What's going on, John? Uh, something happened to me recently I thought you guys might be interested in. I, I went to Max's school, my son Max. I went to his uh, kindergarten class for uh, the, the, all the kids had written these little books mm-hmm. with pictures. Mm-hmm. And Max had written a story about going to the store with me and buy, uh, I bought him this toy that he likes. And he wrote in a little word bubble because we, we read a lot of comics. He wrote in a little word bubble, we go to the store. And he wrote we, W-I-I. 
Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, to- it totally got by my wife until I said, you know why you're out there, don't you? <laughs> yeah. And do you have a game? Speaking of games, do you have one for us? I do have a game. And speaking of II and double letters, it has something to do with double letters. Oh. I call it Make It a Double. It's a simple puzzle. I'll give you the definitions for two words. Both words are spelled the same with the exception that a single letter in one of the words is doubled in the other. Ooh. Okay. For example, skeletal, pleasing to the eye. Suggests what two words? Skeletal, pleasing to the eye. Pleasing to the right. eye. Wait, skinny, skeletal means... Ple- skinny, pretty... No, how, about, how about this? How about skeletal, pleasing oh, to the... Oh, bony and bonny. Right, right. <laughs> bony and bonny. I was going to say skeletal, pleasing to the Irish eye. How's that? Uh-huh. <laughs> bony and bonny. B-O-N-Y? Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay. B-O-N-N-Y. Good. This is pretty easy. So to spice it up, I, I've made the clues read sort of like a sentence. There may be a superfluous preposition or two. It won't trip you up. Uh, also, the definition to the single letter word could come first or second. It's, it's changed up. All right? Okay. okay. Play it by ear. Here we go. Here's the first. Zeus or Hera, for example, is not bad. God and good. God, God and good. good. Yeah, yeah should have started with that one. That was good. That was God. I mean, that was good. <laughs> Here's the next. Took unlawfully, yet wearing a king's clothes. Took unlawfully. I was going to say stole, and, but that doesn't work. Robbed mm. and robed. Robbed and robed. Very, very good. good. Good, good. Here's the next. Wagered on a root vegetable. <laughs> Rutabaga and no. Bet on a beet. Bet, <laughs> bet on a beet. Bet and beet. Very good. Rutabaga. Here's another. Moving an aircraft not easily born. Born as in B-O-R-N or B-O-R-N-E. Breechcraft and beechcraft? No. Um, you know, usually you fly an aircraft, but when you drive an aircraft, taxi and what was the other one? Let's do the let's do the gerund. Oh, taxing and taxiing. That's it. Oh, okay. taxing and taxiing. Oh, oh the double very I. Goodness, yes. what a stranger a double I is in an English word. I know. It's I know. really weird. You got to get get up to some hijinks to find something like that. Well, that's a triple dotted, but not double I. Anyway. <laughs> Here's the next one. More narrow, like a green Ghostbusters phantom. Well, he was so oh, slimmer and slimer. Slimmer and oh, slimer. Good. Good, Grant. A little earworm for you. Thank yeah, you. Who are you going to call? Wordbusters. That's us, baby. Here's the next one. Float up and down, like some kind of jerk. Float up and down like some kind of jerk. I was going to say Bob and Boob, but that's, that's it. No, that's oh, it. That's oh, that <laughs> Yes. Float up and down is Bob, and some kind of jerk is a boob. So Boob and Bob. <laughs> or Bob and Boob. Either way. Oh, man. Okay. Here's the next. Without rhythm, like the Helter Skelter guys. Beetle and Beatless. That's it. Beatles oh, and Beatless. Oh, good. I was thinking Charles Manson. <laughs> no, the Beatles were hardly Beatless. We take a little uh, puzzle, puzzle uh, license there. Gotcha. Okay. Here's the last one. The Shredded Remnants of Spuds. Um, taters? Mm-hmm. Ta- taters and tatters. Taters, taters and, and tatters. tatters. Well done. Man, why hasn't somebody marketed that? Ta- tater tatters? Taters and tatters tonight? Tater tatters. French fries are sort of yeah. tater tatters if you shred them really well. Julienne potatoes are tater tatters. So. All right, so that was a hard one. <laughs> I think that was pretty yeah. difficult, right? A couple of those great. were easy, but who some of those, woo wee, I could have sat here for an hour without Martha. <laughs> you guys did fantastic. Yeah. I prefer challenging to hard, and you guys, you were challenged and you rose to the challenge. You met it. Thanks, so. good John. Job. That was indeed a lot of fun. Thank you. Well, I'll see you again next time. All right. All right bye-bye. Sounds good. And if you'd like to talk about grammar or slang or punctuation or letters or words and how we use them, give us a call, one 929 9673 That's 1-877-WAYWORD, W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Or send an email to words at org, or try us on Twitter at the username WAYWORD. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, good morning. Uh, my name is Gabriel. I'm calling from Marietta, California. Okay. okay. I just have a question for you guys. 
And first of all, you know, English is really not my first language. I'm from the Philippines, and I've always been curious about the word okay, because it's very universally used. Uh-huh. I use it back home, I use it here, and I just want to know, where did it come from, and is it an acronym or an abbreviation of something? But I know it's just an affirmation of, like, if somebody's talking to you and you're agreeing, you say okay. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Gabriel, so you grew up speaking Tagalog? Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I speak Tagalog fluently, and I've only been here in the States for about nine years. And, Gabriel, have you heard um, theories about where this term might have come from? Uh, I remember a, I asked a friend, and he told me it was something from a letter that uh, was sent to a, I think, a president or a senator, and it was there was a script there, and they saw a word like an O and a K. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure if that's correct. <laughs> yeah, that sort of sounds like different elements of the real story that got stuck in a blender <laughs> and all mixed up. Um, and there's a lot to say about that, but let me try to boil it down for you. First of all, there are lots and lots and lots and lots of theories besides that one about where it came from. Or I shouldn't say theories, but stories. And so uh-huh. let's just dismiss those right from the beginning. Okay. Um, there's not evidence that it comes... Yeah, you said it again. What's that? I said, I oh, said, said it again. Okay. You said okay. <laughs> okay, let's say... Oh, I see, I did it too. I was going to yeah. say, okay, let's see how many times we can... Uh, right then. <laughs> right then. Correct. I mean, people are probably getting ready to send us emails about, oh, it comes from ancient Greek or it comes from Choctaw mm-hmm. Indian language or it comes from Irish or, or Burmese or, or uh, Finnish. And, or, uh-huh. or Scots or Wolof Sc- or yeah, Martian. Right, right, West African. Yeah, Mar- maybe it comes from Martian. I don't know. No, it, um, but, but anyway, we don't have evidence for those stories, even though they're floating around. Okay. Now, here's, here's the one that's the most plausible. Mm-hmm. Gabriel, back in the 1830s and 1840s in this country, there was a period of great linguistic playfulness, kind of like today. People were just, they loved making up words. This is the period of time when you hear, um, you start hearing words like hornswoggle or gosh bustified, which means <laughs> yeah. very, very happy. Exactly. And people also played with letters and abbreviations, particularly in newspapers in the Boston area. Mm. Columnists would, um, they would misspell words occasionally. On purpose, mind you. Yeah, on purpose. And they would use funny abbreviations. And one of those abbreviations was okay for all correct they oh, they right. spelled they spelled those words incorrectly o l l k o r r e c t which is mm-hmm. not correct and grant there were a lot of other different uh, initials that were used in those days right yeah a ton of them uh, none of them seem to have lasted the same way that okay has however exactly and oh. apparently one of the reasons is that um although all of these fell away um, okay stuck around <laughs> in part because of President Martin Van Buren, President number eight. Oh. He was born in Kinderhook, New York, which is in upstate New York, and people used to call him Old Kinderhook. And if you think oh. about it, Old Kinderhook is um, abbreviated okay, and so people formed a Democratic okay club in mm-hmm. his name. Mm-hmm. And somehow... Somehow we think that that had a role in the all-correct, okay, abbreviation taking off and becoming popular. There was a kind of reinforcement there. And now there, there, there are citations for this from newspapers going back to the 1830s. We can find a pretty good pattern, which is why mm-hmm. this theory, out of all of the theories about okay, has the most support behind it from linguists and lexicographers. There are oh. other theories that have a little bit of evidence, but this is the strongest one. There's, oh, a, there's an okay. unbroken record back to the 1830s on this. Yeah, so it's oh. kind of a long story, but it goes back to all correct. All correct. Yeah. I'll remember that. All correct. Hey, Gabriel, yeah. I have a question for you. Sure. Um, is there a Tagalog word for mountain that maybe starts with a B? Yes, there is. What is that word? It's called bundok. 
Bundok. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, mountain. <laughs> I had to ask because, you know, we gave you guys okay, but you guys gave us the word boondocks. Really? Oh, yes. yeah, that's right. Oh, I didn't even <laughs> thought of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it means mountain, right? Yeah, we, yeah, we brought it means that mountain. Yeah. We brought that back from the Philippines and a few yeah, other hey, things besides. <laughs> at least you've contributed something. <laughs> yeah. Okay, one of the theories behind why it spread so easily, besides mm-hmm. the rise of American power throughout the 1800s and into the 1900s, oh. was the fact that O and K are two sounds that are almost universal in languages spoken around mm. the world. They are incredibly ah. easy to say, incredibly easy to understand, and difficult to corrupt. Exactly, exactly. Okay. <laughs> wow, you guys are great. Amazing. I love your show again, and that's really, really helpful. Gabriel, oh. thank you so much for calling us today. Best of luck to you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Thank you, bye. Boy, it's hard not to say that, isn't it? Yeah. Well, uh, help us make the linguistic connections. Find out uh, the history of language here on Away With Words, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have Away With Words. Hi, this is Krista from Dallas, Texas. Hello, Krista. Hi, Krista. Welcome. Thank you. What's happening? Um, I have a pet peeve. And I'd like to hear your opinion on its appropriate usage. All right. We love to opine. Oh, good. Um, I've noticed lately that people are substituting the word female for the word woman. So, for example, uh, female suicide bomber. um, So that when it's used as an adjective or as a noun, like a lot of females in the room or I'm a female. Hmm. And to me, that smacks of like mutual of Omaha's wild kingdom. Like we're talking about tigers or something, and I'm not right. quite sure why people. I understand there's sort of a general discomfort with the word woman, and that's a different call for a different program. But I'm just wondering if it's probably technically correct to use female, but when is it when is it more appropriate? And Jim will now attempt to tranquilize the female of the yes, species. Exactly. The female of the species waits for the male to approach. <laughs> Sorry, you just you just sent us off in a different yeah. direction. Oh, we are. I remember back. those shows, right? It was that certain <laughs> cadence that you only found on those shows, right? That's right. But there is something kind of clinical about it, right? As if you're somehow removed from what you're observing or talking about. Yes. And this this point of view that that you have that there's something not quite right about using female as a noun goes back hundreds of years, and it. And it even goes back nearly to the beginning of female as a word in English when it was borrowed from the French. And um, much has been written about this. A lot of people today think it sounds like a cop talking, somebody who is trying to sound more important than they actually are. A female suspect approached and pulled out a gun. You know, whatever. It's this kind of stilted language where you say something in kind of an awkward way. Nobody really ever talks like that. Uh, One of the quotes that I really like here is... um, uh, a fellow by the name of Alfred in 1866 says, Why should a woman be degraded from her position as a rational being and be expressed by a word which might belong to any animal tribe? And commentator after commentator over the years has condemned the use of female as a noun. And yet, and yet it still persists, which is really interesting. It says a little bit about our need for these two nouns that mean roughly the same thing. There is some connotation, right? There's yeah. something else happening there. There's some extra information contained in female that's not in the word woman and vice versa, so that we feel the need to use one or the other in certain circumstances. What do you think that extra information is? Well, it's a good question. I think I think Krista hinted at it when she suggested that there's a discomfort with using the word woman. What, what do you think that discomfort is, Krista? Because I think that's definitely a part of this conversation. Oh, um, I was a women's studies minor, so how much time do you have? <laughs> well, if you can condense your dissertation down into a couple sentences. Okay. <laughs> so you weren't um, a female studies. Just, they would prefer lady, and then when you're using it in sort of a, a less subjective um, context, lady mm-hmm. doesn't quite fit, and mm-hmm. for some reason woman doesn't feel right. I don't know if that's the old use of, you know, woman of the night, or it feels insulting to call someone a woman without conferring on them the lady status, um, I'm not quite sure what that is. And you, you're just talking about this straight-up noun. You're talk, not talking about using female and woman as adjectives or attributive nouns, right? You're not where you say a woman doctor or a woman president or a, a or female Or a woman senator. driver. Well, that's or, what I mean. That's a subject for a different show. Okay, that, I see. You know, you but what show would that be? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that that show exists. But, um, well, well, but, uh, but no, but 
in that case as well, even even though I find that irritating to say a woman doctor or a woman engineer, that for some reason woman requires some different special special classification. But even then you hear female doctor, female engineer. Yeah. It makes wh- it worse. And what do you say naturally if you say you prefer to go to a gynecologist of your same gender? How would you say that? I'd say a gynecologist that's a woman. Oh, really? Oh, so or not f- a male gynecologist. You say the fully articulated phrase then. I tend to fully articulate. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, to summarize this, and you're right, it's a huge topic. I can refer to you to a couple of places where it's discussed at length. But to summarize this, I, just there are a lot of people who feel the way that you do. But I, I don't think we're ever going to come down with a, this is the waffle answer. Um, get out your flip-flops. Um, I don't <laughs> think we're ever going to come up with an answer here that's going to satisfy all parties. There is Aww. clearly, when you look at the large samples of text of spoken English and written English, you clearly find there's something happening where female is doing a job that woman can't quite accomplish and woman is doing a job that female can't quite accomplish. Some of it is a little clinical. Some of it is a little personal. Some of it actually is appropriately impersonal. I do feel that sometimes when people, at least if I'm judging the data correctly, that when people use the noun woman instead of the noun female, they actually mean it in a non-judgmental and purely description way, whereas when they use the noun female, there's something about the being the female that's important to the sentence. And maybe that's what kind of is kind of tripping your buttons here. Let me just encourage you to take a look at Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of English Usage. There's something like two and a half or three pages about this very subject with examples drawn from history over hundreds of years and a a really good summary at the end that just kind of points out that, look, this has been a dispute for a long time. It doesn't look like it's going to be resolved anytime soon. And um, and we might just have to deal with it in our own writing as best we can and kind of forgive others when they they have (laughs) trespasses that that don't align with our our understanding. I will try to do that. Cool. All right. right, Well, thank you so much, Krista, for giving us a call. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What do you think? Give us a call, one 929 Or send your disputes and disputationists to words at waywardradio.org. You know, Grant, earlier in the show we were talking to Gabriel, the native speaker of Tagalog. Mm-hmm. And I forgot to mention that uh, there's a wonderful saying in that language, which translated goes, one who does not love his own language is worse than an animal and a putrid fish. Oh, nice. Isn't that nice? That's mm-hmm. from Jose Rizal, a national hero there in the Philippines. Send us your proverbs, your idioms, your catchphrases, what have you, to words at waybirdradio.org or give us a call on the telephone, one 929 When we come back, New York Times tech columnist David Pogue. When it comes to slang, how's his bandwidth? Stay tuned to Away With Words. Away With Words is sponsored in part by iUniverse, supported self-publishing. Is there a book in you? Find out how to publish it at 1-800-AUTHORS or learn more online at iUniverse.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. It's time for our slang quiz. And if you're a fan of high-tech gadgets, you're probably also a fan of today's contestant. David Pogue is the technology columnist for The New York Times. He's assured us he won't be Googling the answers while we play, although I suppose he just might be tweeting as we speak. David, welcome to Away With Words. Thank you. Uh, What's the latest gadget you're playing with? Oh, well, I'm looking at a new uh, new cell phone from Palm that doubles as a pocket Wi-Fi hotspot. So oh, wherever yes. you go, you're in the middle of a, of a wireless hotspot. Oh, nice. Well, David, we always ask our contestants for their favorite slang term, and we'd love to know yours. Something from the tech industry, maybe? Yeah. Well, my, my latest favorite is nonversation, and that's uh-huh. when two people are in the same meeting together, but they are conversing via text message or instant message uh, surreptitiously. So no one, no one else in the room is aware that they're communicating. So they're, they call that a non-versation. Oh, sure, yeah, the back-channel conversations. Sure, definitely yeah. know all about those. Let's move on to the slang quiz. David, you know a great deal about the gadgets of the modern age, but today we're going to find out what you know about the gadgets of another age. I have three archaic devices. I'll give you a short description and some possible answers. Your job is to figure out which is the true description of the device. 
If you need help, okay. Martha will be standing by. Here's number one. A letter is delivered to the Times a hundred years late. It looks like information about a gadget, so the Times mailroom sends it on to you. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of seawater damage, and the only word you can read is planktonocrit. That's P-L-A-N-K-T-O-N-O-K-R-I-T, planktonocrit. What was it? Was it A, a children's microorganism farm, the sea monkeys of the 1890s, was it B, a centrifuge that separates plankton from water? Or was it C, a new formula for cement made from live plankton cultures and newsprint? <laughs> I, I, um, I wish I could say it's, it's a, uh, a sea creature that says one thing but does another. <laughs> like a hypocrite. That's like, but... Oh, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> well, I have no idea, but I'll, I'll say C, the, the cement. No, it's the centrifuge that separates plankton from water. Yeah, I thought that might be a little too difficult, but I was hoping there's a, there's a root there. The K-R-I-T root is the same one that's in criterion and critic. It comes from Greek, and it means more or less judge or even umpire. In other words, the device is judging or sorting the plankton. It just spins it around, and then you can analyze the diet of oysters or whatever. That's what they used it for back in the day. Um, Why would you do that? <laughs> Science knows no bounds. <laughs> I don't know, actually. I'll, I'll keep that in mind next time I'm playing Scrabble. All yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like a a hundred point word, I think. <laughs> All right, let's let's try another one. We've got three total of these. Here's number two. In 2008, the website for the magazine Make M A K E featured instructions for building a pre-cinema device called a phenakistoscope or phenakistoscope, depending. If you build a phenakistoscope or a phenakistoscope, what would you see? And that's P-H-E-N-A-K-I-S-T-O-S-C-O-P-E, phenakistoscope. Is it A, a movie camera lens array that is filled with pure liquid nicotine? Is it B, a room-sized backlit lava lamp? Or is it C, a spinning disc that animates a series of pictures so they look like they're moving? Oh, my gosh. Um, my, my son got one of that, those last things, but that was called a praxinoscope, I believe. Uh-huh. So um, I'm going to go with B. B, a room-sized backlit lava lamp? Really? No, that's, no, something, <laughs> that's something Make would make. Make is a magazine for do-it-yourself nerds <laughs> yeah. who like to build things. So Fantastic like stuff. Yeah. You think it's the room-sized backlit lava lamp? I'm just going to throw that out. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it was it was C. It was C. It was the um, it was the one that was close to the device that your that your son got. You've seen them: the running horse, the person on the velocipede, the scampering dog. It's a paper disc with a bunch of slightly different pictures around the sides, separated by vertical slits, and then you spin it and you look through it at a certain way, and it, and the magic is made. It animates. And okay, you might have well, also. Heard... I'm going to have to challenge challenge the judges here. <laughs> I've I've got the box in my hand. It yeah. Came from a scientific catalog for kids. Yep. It's called Animation Praxinoscope. P R A S I N O, and that is exactly what it is. It comes with the yep. horse, and then it comes with some blank ones where you can draw your own panels. Very good. Yes, it, it, that is exactly. That's another name for the device. It has more than one name. So. Oh wow. Oh! <laughs> How could something so obscure have more than one well, name? Even there, there are two other devices that are almost exactly the same: the thaumatrope and the zoetrope, and those are they have more names still. You know, this is a science again knows no bounds in the coining and the neologizing. So your evil knows no bounds. <laughs> it's yes. true, Mister Pogue. All right, here's no, here's number three. You're visiting Lower Slobovia, which, as we all know, is a backwards country. They're particularly behind on health care. A doctor there wants to use a sphygmograph on you. That's S-P-H-Y-G-M-O-G-R-A-P-H, sphygmograph on. What is he trying to measure? Is it A, your hairline, B, your pulse rate, or C, your ability to carry a tune? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, I've I've been saying B, 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 but this one has got to be B. This has got to be your Pulse rate. So the choices are ability to carry a tune, pulse rate, and what was the first one? Oh, uh, your hairline. Measure your hairline. 
Yeah, no, it's it's, it's blood pressure. (laughs) Yes, uh, indeed. Well, it's it's your pulse rate. And it's it's this crazy-looking device that clamps to your wrist, and it looks like the kind of thing that goes with a a shot of truth serum, you know, like in a Bond movie. This is the thing that they they put on Sean Connery so he'll tell them where the gold is hidden. Um, And sphygmos is Greek for pulse, and it works on that same principle as a phonograph, which is every time your your veins or your your skin pulses as the blood passes through it, um, it moves a little needle on a piece of paper. Well, this sphygmomanometer is a blood pressure cuff. There we go. Exactly I was right. just going to say that I'm married to a doctor, so for once, <laughs> that, that information. <laughs> I know the blood pressure cuff is a sphygmomanometer, so that one I. Very good. David, thank you so much for playing along with us today. This was, this was good fun. Thanks, David, thank and so good much. luck at Scrabble. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Bye bye. Bye. Well, if you're puzzling over a linguistic mystery, give us a call, 1-877-929-9673, or email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. This is Monica calling from KHSU in Arcata, California. Well, hello, Monica. How are you doing up there? How are things in northern, northern, northern California? Um, Things are very well up here in very northern California. Yeah. Okay, growing up on the the West Coast, born and raised on the West Coast, I've always thought it was funny when people have mentioned a California accent. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, what accent? We don't have an accent. We just pronounce words the way that they're supposed to be pronounced. (laughs) Like, you know, actually saying all of the syllables and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then somebody laughed at me. I was talking to a friend about drawing, which I'm not very good at, and um, using crayons. And they were like, wait, using what? Like, crayons. And they're like, crayons? I'm like, really? Do, who pronounces it crayons? I mean, I know that's how it's spelled, but that seems so weird. And I talked to a coworker of mine who grew up in the Midwest, and he's like, yeah, we pronounce it crayons. And I was like, wow, I actually pronounce something apparently like the Midwest pronunciation. And I just, you know, I, I, I was curious about the pronunciation of crayons, which just sounds more awkward that way. C-R-A-Y-O-N, crayon. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you say, Martha? I say crayon. crayon. I say crayon as well. Say it again. Maybe Let's I hear it again, Monica. It. One more time. How do you say uh, it? <laughs> um, okay, crayon. I mean, it's. Uh, may, I, I think maybe I just kind of rushed through it. Uh huh. Well, something. Not, yeah, there's there's something happening here that's not just you. It's not laziness or or, or rushing <laughs> or anything like that. It's a. There's something happening. No, no. Yeah, there are other people who say it this way. And, in fact, it's one of those words that they'll use sometimes on a dialect survey mm-hmm. to see what your dialect is or see where the variations are. And, in fact, Monica, we can post a link on our website to a dialect survey that was done a few years ago that actually has it mapped out where people in this survey responded with the pronunciation cran. Now, it's only 14.13% of, of right. the respondents. Most people said crayon mm-hmm. or crayon. Well, yeah, the there, was, there, were four, <laughs> there were four pronunciations of the word. Yeah. Crown, crown apparently, is a pronunciation of the word. Yeah, have you ever people. heard crown. anybody say crown? I have not. So yeah. crayon, 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 and crown. Yeah. And so, so with these four in a dialect survey and a few other questions, we can we can narrow you down by your region and probably figure out where you are. And I'm not surprised if you're from up there, Northern California, your whole life, right? Uh, well, I I no? spent um, a portion of my life in Northern Nevada, but I mean, mm-hmm. primarily, you know, I've been here for a, a large portion, actually, almost half of my life. So, mm. uh huh. Uh-huh. I'm primarily a California girl. <laughs> Monica, you're not that weird. <laughs> a little Thank bit. Goodness, I, I'm going to quote you guys on that somewhere. <laughs> I can not see that, that word Martin now. Grant said, "I'm not that weird." <laughs> That's right. Well, well, thank you for. I, I appreciate knowing that I'm not the only one that says it like that. At least well, 14 percent of uh, you know of, of the population pronounces it like I do. <laughs> Monica, let me ask you two more dialect questions, just while we have you. All right, let's see if we can find a little bit more about how you speak. Are you are you do, are you ready to play this? I am ready. All right. If you go to McDonald's and you buy the um, the 
the, the burger and the fries that are for the kids that come in this special colorful box with the characters mm. on the outside? What is that called? The Happy Meal. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you eat a lot of food and somebody asks you if you want seconds, you say, no, thanks, I've had my... My fill. Okay. And mm. um, do you, when you uh, go to the store and there's something on sale and you spend very little money and you're really pleased and you say, well, I got a real... Deal. Deal. Okay. Or a and, bargain, uh, but and, and cattle deal. are... Cattle are rounded up and put inside a, um, a, a fenced in. Say it again, please. A corral. Corral. Uh-huh. Okay. Two okay. syllables yeah. there. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much okay. What I was looking for is some people who also say cran also say fill instead of feel, mill instead of meal. A happy and, mill. Yeah, oh. a happy mill. And, and crawl instead of corral. So I'm weirder than you thought, but still not quite as weird as I thought I could be. So. Exactly. Yes. You've got it. <laughs> Bye, a Joe. More <laughs> Monica, thank you so much for giving us a call today. All right. Thanks, Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Let us figure out where you're from or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. We'll tell you if you're weird or not. Hello. You have a way with words. Hello. This is Jada Samudra. I'm calling from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Hi, Jada. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What can we help you with, Jada? Well, um, I think it was last month or the month before. I remember you you had some things about how people mispronounce words, and Mm -hmm. it got me thinking about my mother's funny playfulness with words, and I started remembering a whole bunch of different things she used to do that I don't know if she originated or they have an older history. Um, I know one thing that I'm pretty sure she um, coined was the thought plickens. <laughs> the thought plickens? <laughs> the thought plickens, right. When, when we'd be watching a program or a movie or reading a mystery or sometimes if we would come home with some elaborate explanation for why we were late coming home from school or something, she'd say, aha, the thought plickens. For- <laughs> I like that. I've, I've never heard that spoonerism. That's, That's a great funny. One. I used to say the thick plottens. Did you? <laughs> yes. Yes. How about that? <laughs> she had a number of interjections when... We would start a sentence, we kids, would start a sentence with sort of one of those little words that, you know, people start sentences with before they actually start saying what they're talking about. And she would have these interjections. So, for example, if um, you started a sentence with well, she would add, well, well, three holes in the ground. (laughs) Or (laughs) if you started a sentence with so... She would interject buttons on your underwear. Uh-huh. And, um, or if you started a sentence with C, she would interject, said the blind man as he picked up a hammer and saw. Uh-huh. So, wow. so I've been wondering all along if my mother made up these or if there was a, a time in, I don't know, kind of the cultural history where it became a a mode to kind of make up these interjections, kind of like see you later alligator Mm -hmm. kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe. Let me ask you a question. Did your mother say these things as a way of kind of nudging you not to use things like starting a sentence with well or so? Is that what she was doing? Um, I don't remember it that way. It's quite possible. But she was also just very playful with okay. language. So I so I don't remember it as kind of like a pedagogical tool. Right, right. It, was, right. it wasn't that she was a pedant or anything or that she was kind of like, she, she wasn't necessarily irritated. It was just a, you said something, it triggered this automatic response and she just spit out the thing that she always says, right? Yeah, and of course then we would get irritated. Oh, so that, that, well, that was my <laughs> so next question. That was there my was question, a, too. Yeah, did, did you find that annoying after a while that she kept saying the same thing year after year? Well, I don't even know how often she did it. I just, she did it often enough that, you know, I'm trying to think back because this is, this is quite a while ago because I'm, you know, in my 50s. So 
I've been trying to think how often she did this, but somehow it got into my language. That's what and and actually I've taught it to my husband, so <laughs> who's Indonesian, so it's really great, you know. So he'll say that. He'll oh say. my goodness! So do you? <laughs> does either of you get in a word edgewise? I mean, I would think that, that you you would have these sort of start and stop uh, conversations. Well, I think it's a good thing that there's nothing that she interjected for like. Right? Oh yeah! Now all the kids say like, but I don't think we grew up saying like. Oh yeah, let's not think of one of those. I've heard a variation of the the blind man as he picked up his hammer. I've heard a variation of that, but there was another one that you didn't say, which I I've heard, which is when someone says hay, you say hay is for horses. Straw oh, is yes. cheap. I, I, re- I know one? that one. Straw mm-hmm. is cheaper. Grass is free. Marry a farmer, and you have all three. <laughs> that one, no. <laughs> And, and I asked about the reason. I asked if she cared about if she was saying this is a way to remind you not to begin your sentences that way. Because for a lot of people, that's what these are. They're kind of uh, devices to remind somebody else that they're speaking in a way that is hyper casual or overly slangy or just somehow not correct. Mm-hmm. Jade, I should just say answer one of your other questions. These aren't, as far as I can tell, unique to your mother. I'm looking okay. in a variety of reference works while we're talking here, and I'm finding the thought plickens goes back to at least 1912 oh, probably you're kidding. A lot, no a lot oh. older than that yeah. oh you're kidding most of these have a long history and and that doesn't take anything away from your mother's using i mean that's how we learn yeah. language we get all of our language from somebody else and so there's no reason that these couldn't be borrowed you know perfectly from anyone else as is wholesale yeah jade i want to thank you for giving us so much of your time today this was really interesting and i'm sure we'll get a lot of email and calls about it Okay, thank you very much. All right, take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Give us a call. Let us know about the expressions in your life that somebody uses over and over, whether you find them amusing over or annoying, over or over. if you've got some that you made yourself, send them along to words at waywardradio.org or give us a call, 1 929 9673. Things have come to a pretty pass. Our romance is growing flat. That's our show for this week. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime. The number's 1-877-929-9673. Or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. And you can stay in touch with us all week by following us on Twitter. We're there under the username Wayward. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell and Jennifer Powell. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from San Francisco, I'm Grant Barrett. Thanks to Howard Gelman for engineering our show from the studios of KQED Radio. Dasvidaniya. Bye-bye. And I say neither, either, either, neither, neither. Let's call the whole thing off. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. Hi, it's Martha. Did you know that Away With Words is independently produced by a small nonprofit? To keep bringing you the show, we need your help. We welcome your contributions of any size. Go to waywardradio.org, click on Membership. Your donations do add up, and they make this program possible. Thanks. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.